The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson. Thanks for joining us live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. We appreciate you joining us. Hop in the chat. Come and hang out. Uh, we've got a very exciting show because it's an activity that we like to do uh, every off season, And it's a little bit of a... You know, revisionist history. I, I think, I hope I don't get sued for that one, but it is our chance to be able to go back and uh, take a look at how we thought about coaching hires at the time. And now, with a little bit of perspective, with a couple of seasons to be able to regrade and judge the, how those hires have turned out. The class that we are talking about today uh, is the 2018-19 cycle, the one that brought Ryan Day, uh, elevated him to the head coach at Ohio State, brought Mac Brown back to North Carolina, Les Miles, ooh, uh, hired at Kansas, Manny Diaz at Miami, and much more. We will get into all of that in a little bit. Uh, but I do want to let you know that we made it through the first weekend of madness and now have 16 teams left competing to cut down the nets in New Orleans. If you want the latest previews, picks, and bracket breakdowns, listen to Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander on the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Gary and Matt will also be recording after each night of tournament action, recapping those games instantly. For the best March Madness analysis, listen and follow the Ion College Basketball Podcast anywhere you get your Podcasts. So before we jump into regrading the coaching hires, um, we wanted to turn the attention to the recruiting trail very quickly because just like in the NFL, we are seeing the dominoes, right? The quarterback dominoes. If one quarterback's going to go here, then all of a sudden we're going to send uh, another one there. The Maybe one quarterback's waiting to see what happens with one team. And, and all of these decisions are, are starting to fall into place a little bit. Uh, obviously, Deshaun Watson, Matt Ryan, Russell Wilson, you know, Aaron Rodgers stays put. Tom Brady comes back. It, it has been something that I know our, our NFL, our pick six, Will Brinson, Ryan Wilson, John Breach, the gang, they've, they've had a lot of fun breaking down. Danny Cannell breaking it down on CBS Sports, uh, HQ, and the like. But, but there's also some quarterback dominoes at the high school ranks because Arch Manning is our big fish, right? 
and we just had uh we just had the our awesome <laughs> we we finally had our Tennessee hold on give it to me but give me the pronunciation Arch Manning no, no I am a Lieva oh I yeah. am a Lieva. I am a Lieva. I am a Lieva. With I am a Lieva committing to Tennessee, look, there's another domino that is falling into place. So before we jump into regrading the coaching carousel, how is the landscape looking with those top quarterbacks in the recruiting class? Uh, it's it's shaping up to be a, a pretty exciting year with the quarterback recruiting. I, I think Steve Wilfong does a great job with this piece. Uh, back when I was at SB Nation, I always thought Steve should be the guy to write this piece. And when, when I got 24-7, I suggested it, and he's taken, just taken it and absolutely done an awesome job with it. I, I, I just think it's super fun to read. If you haven't checked it out, the quarterback dominoes piece on 24-7 Sports is, is really worth it. He also recently shot a video on the six teams that are in contention for Arch Manning, uh, Texas, Alabama, Old Miss, Georgia, Gators, and LSU. Uh, so Arch Manning probably going to visit uh, Texas, I believe, this spring, maybe for the spring game. We will see on on that. Uh, but uh, he goes through and basically says, like, hey, this guy went here, and now the options for this team are this, and lays it out in an interesting kind of timeline-style format. Hey, they were really hot and heavy over this guy, and now they're you know, they're, like he went here, so now they have to try to try to turn, and they were, keeping, they were keeping this recruitment warm over here because they realized they may not land their number one target. And – for the most part, you don't have two stud QBs go to the same school just because there's only one ball and uh, transfers are inevitable if, if that happens. So um, I think it's pretty fun to watch. Well, what's our group look? What's the size? You know, we're, we're going to be talking about 27 different coaching hires a, a little bit later, 17 of them still in place, and then differing reasons why the others are not. Some hired away, some fired. But, you know, there, there's only but so many players, and a lot of them have, like you mentioned, multiple handful even of schools that are in the running. You know, what does this elite quarterback class look like? Because it's going to be a game of musical chairs, and some program, some head coaching staff is going to end up not landing one of these quarterbacks. Yeah, uh, so th there are more teams that want an elite quarterback than than are available, but this is a pretty good quarterback here. It, it's it's quite heavy at the top with Manning and Malachi and you know Amalieva. Uh, that's a really really nice trio. But you also have guys like like, like Dante Moore, you know Jaden Rashada, Eli Holstein. Th there's a lot like those are three guys who who the uh, you know, the Oregon Ducks are targeting. Th this is a pretty deep class, I think, because it, it is. It's so heavy at the top, and there's pretty good depth down the board. And you know, we're having to see like Oregon wanted Nico, but Nico went to Tennessee. So now, wh where where do they pivot to? What where did all the schools pivot? You know, when when Oklahoma got Arnold, that that's kind of what what I find interesting in this. It's like, okay, who who's the new favorite target for the message board to fall in love with? Right? They were all in on this guy. They didn't get him. All right, he's he's trash. He's he's kind of you know he, he's flawed. This other guy has more upside, and I I just think it's fun. In the new landscape, do we get rid of flips? Like, is that going to make uh, flipping a commit less likely if there's, you know, money involved and contracts to, uh, you know, to honor supposedly? I guess I would say flips are not going anywhere anytime soon, primarily because most kids in most states cannot actually sign a contract um, until they get to college. California is one of the very few states in which you can. I think it's probably the only big-time college ball recruiting state uh, in, in which you can. Like, you can't do it in Florida. You can't do it in Georgia. Texas, certainly not. Uh, it's on the table in Florida. 
Like they're well, trying but they, to get it passed, right? Yep. Yeah, well, the legislature's done now, so the, this oh. is going to be more of a, a of a next year thing in Florida. And even so, like that is kind of an additional step that I'm not really sure will be taken. But um, certainly, like if if you're signed, you're you're, you're signed. Uh, I don't think we'll see a whole lot of flips of signed kids. I'm just not really sure we're going to see that many officially signed guys uh, in the preseason. But you don't see a whole lot of quarterbacks flipping anyway typically because they do want to reserve their spot on the roster so early. Uh, typically, the thing that will get a QB to flip is uh, his coaching changes. What an excellent transition. <laughs> Total pro. No hobby. Baby. Yeah, let's go. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and dive into the 2018-19 coaching cycle. Again, 27 jobs changed hands. It wasn't heavy on the Power 5 landscape. You know, we've got 65 power five teams and about 65 teams outside of the power five. Well, this is 27 jobs changed hands. Only 11 of them were power five jobs. Uh, 17 of them still there. Eight fired and two were have already been hired away to another position, both uh, very, very quickly upon their arrival. So I wanted to start with um, the ones who are still there. Is that cool? We like that? Sure. Ryan Day was promoted uh, in December of 2018 as Urban Meyer announced that he was stepping aside. Ryan Day has just run roughshod through the Big Ten. He has won Big Ten championships. He has made college football playoffs. He has made a national championship game uh, back in 2020. Of course, last season is disappointment through and through with the loss to Michigan. But then when C.J. Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba light it up in the Rose Bowl, you are looking at the Buckeyes as a national championship pick going into this coming year. Grading it feels almost too easy. I thought it might be interesting to, I want to hear sort of grades and thoughts on the hire, but how, where does Ryan Day stack? And shout out to producer Jordan. We were just talking about this before we went on. Where does Ryan Day stack up against the, the big list coaches in college football right now with a very small sample size, but nothing but success so far did you like the Ryan Day promotion at the beginning? And how have your thoughts changed about it now? Sort of digging into it. I liked it, uh, and I like it better now. Uh, I, I think that they realized they had somebody in-house uh, who had worked with a bunch of really good coaches. Obviously, Urban and, and Chip Kelly had some NFL experience. Uh, kids spoke highly of him as a recruiter. Uh, his development at the most important position was pretty strong when he was an assistant, and uh, people seem to think he's a you know, pretty good guy. The results have been incredible. They, they made a national title game, as you noted, and uh, they also had one of the very top teams on our best teams not to win the whole thing in that, uh, in, in that 2019 year. So he's killing recruiting. Uh, development of players has been mostly good. I think he... You know, the only thing you really dig him for, perhaps, is the handling of the defensive staff entering the 2021 season that we just had. Uh, but I, I'm willing to give him a little bit of a COVID pass for that, uh, simply because how much can you really evaluate what 2020 was, given just how wacky of a season that was, right? If you had had those 2020-style defensive results over a full season, like you kind of just did, I think you would see some firing slash changes. And that's indeed what he did. And he went out and he got Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State. So... Uh, ability to, and willingness to make the move, I, I think, is uh, is also a plus in this column. You got to be really damn good for me to give you an A at Ohio State because Ohio State's such a damn good job. But I gave him an A. I, I think he's 
has them basically right at their ceiling. Whoa. C plus. I'm, su- I'm surprised. No, no. Yeah, I was going to say, can I give them all just C pluses? I'm going to say a B plus because I think an A would require a national championship. Like, okay. At Ohio State. And I think it would require a closer game in the championship game against Alabama. Um, and I do think like losing a little momentum this past year, losing to Michigan first time, but they're gonna be a preseason darling. And I would and I might be on that bandwagon to maybe win it all this season. But I think the one I thought you were gonna go a different direction when you say the one criticism could be, and you said the handling of the defensive situation. It's always been well. He won with Urban Meyer's players. Like his best season was right after Urban left, but the recruiting has not dropped off one bit. I would just say it's a B plus. It's a good like I was probably a little bit skeptical of this is a big job. You know, I know he was on the staff, but it wasn't, you know, a really, you know, long pedigree. He had the interim status. But I was like, all right, let's see how this goes. But <laughs> I probably C plus. Uh, and I would say like B plus. I think it's I, I like Ryan Day. It's nothing against him. I just think the standard at Ohio State is not competing for a national championship for for actually winning one. When it was announced, I was not as high on it as I am now. I I give it an A, and I think that I was looking at it, and I remember Barton and I were tossing out the spoiled sixteen year old who gets a beamer on his birthday. Like, congratulations, just don't crash it. It's going to, its performance is going to be through the roof and we probably are going to have mommy and daddy pay for all anything that goes wrong with it but to be able to um, continue to recruit well to be able to load up that wide receiver room with the foresight of understanding what's going to be like really winning football I mean it's not winning football in the snow in Ann Arbor but you know winning football in most places on when you're playing a college football season I I, I think that it was he has exceeded my expectations and I think that he has really, uh, even he's from New Hampshire, so he's a you know more of a Northeast guy, but he seems to really tap into like the Ohio State f- like fan base. He seems to be a good representative of what the fans want. And my memories of this are grizzled Ryan Day in quarantine, sending hostage iPhone messages to all the Buckeye faithful as they're fighting to bring Big Ten football back. He was on the forefront. He was like, no, we want to play. And he was giving that message that Ohio State fans wanted to hear. So even though he's not uh, you know, from Ohio, you know, he didn't he didn't have that sort of connection the way that Urban Meyer did. He was definitely ingratiating himself into this fan base to where uh, I think that he has a ton of support. They love the way he's recruiting. You know, you you just stack it up like uh four, three top six finishes in the AP poll in three years. I 23 and one in Big Ten play, 34 and four overall at in his time at Ohio State. I, I've got to give that one an A because not only has he not crashed the Beamer that he got on his 16th birthday, but it, it seems like he's driving it pretty well. Uh, also, let me ask you something because I'll, I'll give it a little bit deeper glimpse into the B plus grade. If because and we saw this real world situation play out with Lincoln Riley when he left Oklahoma. Oklahoma fans ticked off and they're like, well, we were getting worse under uh, under Lincoln Riley than we did under Stoops. Like, you've heard that, right, from Oklahoma fans? Like, that's been their mic to try to justify, okay, we're going to be okay. If Ryan Day left Ohio State, would they make that same argument or could they? No. They wouldn't. 
I don't think they could. I don't think they could say that in the, like if he left after this year, even if this year was a wildly disappointing nine and three, I don't think that you could say that the program got worse. The, the challenges are going to be fair. I don't think Oklahoma did like, you know, like I think that's kind of the craziness of the Oklahoma fans. Um, so yeah, I was just trying to put it where the B plus came into play. Like it's good. He's steering, like you mentioned. So I'm curious to know. So if he, if they got the keys to the Bentley Beamer, whatever car you wanted to say, like it's not like you've gone on this joyride and just blown everybody away, but you haven't wrecked it either, mm-hmm. right? Like you've been having a good time, but is it something that's just epic that you're blown away by? I don't. That's that's where I come up just short of the A. Well, is it fair for national championship to be the expectation at Ohio State when like? You've got great teams and Big Ten Conference championships, but the number of actual natties is a little bit low compared to the passion, the success otherwise. Yeah, I, that's a good question. I, I think if, if he wasn't playing at such a high level, you know, like they're not fluking their way to top five type finishes. I mean, they're they're really consistently even on the power rating side, like they're crushing people. They're, they're rating out as like the, the best team, the second best team, the third best team in the country, like on a consistent basis, pretty much all the time. So for me, I'm willing to give him a pass because we just talked in the, in the pre-show, like Ed Orgeron, you know, Gene Chizik, sometimes national titles can be a little bit misleading. And the consistency with which he, like he, he took over, he took over the sports car, but he hasn't throttled it down. To me, he's pr- he's proved that he can drive that thing at about the same speed, you know that that Urban Meyer was, was, was driving it. And to be to his credit, the car had some issues. Like there was, you know, Urban Meyer did. didn't exactly leave it in a perfect situation. Mm. Do you? By the way, uh, real quick aside, because we have mm-hmm. a lot of coaches to get to. You guys don't believe all the stuff in that article, right? Like you really don't think he knew who Paris Campbell and. Uh, the D tackle uh, for the Rams. You don't know who Eric Donald is either. So here's the thing. Here's where I think this is unfair. You ask, uh, and you know, you guys have interviewed coaches. I've interviewed coaches. Like, especially when you're in production meetings, and the coach will just refer to 99. He'll be like, well, that 99 is a good player. Like, that doesn't mean he doesn't know who he is or like, yeah, I think Urban Meyer was super uber, like ultra focused on college football. But I don't believe he didn't know who Aaron Donald was until three weeks before they pulled him. Like I think that's a little bit of uh, hyperbole. There was. Did you guys see? I got duped for a second from the PFT commenter. Uh, pardon my take. Where he posted a clip, and it was like, "Can't believe this segment from the Athletic article," and it was it was totally a mockery of that article. But like it talked about. Tim Tebow having Tim Tebow Tuesdays and the team was required to come listen to him talk. Like it was pretty good. But for a second, I was like, it kind of see it happening. So I was like, I could see where you could twist it a little bit. But yeah, I didn't, I don't believe that he had no idea who Aaron Donald was. He also might've been messing with someone when I, when <laughs> I first read that, it was like, he could have said it sarcastically to a staffer in the building who became a source. And because nobody likes urban Meyer, you know, the staffer took it one way. Yeah. I don't know. And I, I 100% believe the putting everybody's job on the line. Like, that was something. Jimmy Johnson, when he was head coach of the Dolphins, that was a regular. Like, it was Dan Marino. You're going to get cut. I mean, Bel- uh, Belichick still did that with Brady. Remember, he'd be like, ah, that high school kid down the street throws it better than you did today at practice. And he had three Super Bowls. Like, that's a very 
old school mentality that I think Urban Meyer thought was going to work, and clearly it did not. How do you read so many books supposedly on leadership and have it go so poorly? Well, that's why I whiffed so bad on the Urban Meyer. I thought he would adapt. I thought he would talk to the right people. And he said he studied the NFL for six months and he did all this research, but I don't think he could get that. A lot of college football coaches have a God complex. Like, hey, it's my, I am the God. I, you will all worship me and you will do things the way I want to. And that just does not work in today's NFL. And I, it's, I don't think it's start, it's, I don't think it's going to work very long in college football either. I just don't think it's an effective way to manage. And he had to learn that the really hard way. All right, let's go from uh, from one end of the spectrum to the other. Again, we still got uh, Mac Brown at North Carolina, Scott Satterfield at Louisville, and more to get to. But Manny Diaz at Miami. He was fired uh, after a lot of half a season of being on the hot seat. Uh, Mario Cristobal comes in to replace him. But Manny Diaz at the time, he was the head coach of Temple for a hot second. And uh, then arrived at Miami, where he was the defensive coordinator for Mark Ricks. Manny Diaz, his hire at Miami, what kind of grade or what's the retrospective look like for him? I gave him a, uh, I, I gave him a B. Um, this is where I think you really have to consider the expectations of, of, of the program uh, and also the resources and the input. They were very clearly not giving Manny Diaz the tools to succeed compared to what they're giving Mario Cristobal as far as investment in the program. Uh, I, th- I think he did a pretty damn good job there. Like they, he recruited pretty well. They won a good number of games. He obviously got got quarterback Van Dyke in. Um, yeah, like they didn't do great, but look at Miami's history in the last twenty something years. Who's really been better than him? Not Al Golden. Larry Coker kind of took over a, a monster, and that was back you know before HGTV. Uh, Randy Shannon, no. Mark Richt, uh, give Mark my Richt. guy an A Mark then. Richt. Give Mark Richt an A. Yeah, but like, I think you kind of need to give Mark Richt an A, especially because they weren't giving him the, you know, the resources either. So I'd give him like, like a B relative to expectations and relative to investment. Are you surprised by this grade, Chip? little high. I think it's real high. I was going to go D plus. I mean, I think if you don't survive, I get the expectations, but isn't that your job? Like Mark Richt, I think one of the reasons he had more success was he was trying to, I mean, didn't Mark Richt bring the indoor practice facility there? Like, wasn't he the one that gave, you know, millions of his own dollars to try to get that built? And if you're the head coach of Miami, Maybe that's your failures is not being able to get everybody on board the way that Mario was. And I get that was part of the deal to bring him there and those types of guarantees. But I would put all of that as part of being a program builder is getting those resources that you need. And whatever for whatever reason, you couldn't do that. Now, no one's been able to do it like Mario has. And he obviously has connections with Ruiz and you know the billionaire that's got his backing. But I would still say the product on the field wasn't that great. Can't lose to FIU. Just, can't, you can't lose to FIU on the side of the Orange Bowl. Right. The three conference USA teams in a row. Yeah, they the the inability to get that Miami team up to beat lesser competition multiple times per season has to be something that you dock him for. The recruiting was good. And look, in my analysis, I give Manny Diaz some credit or at least like allow him to look at that ACC Coastal Division title and say, I was the defensive coordinator and our defense was nasty. 
we were on like our third quarterback and we weren't going to move the ball, but at least we had a good enough defense to be able to keep this thing respectable for a quarter and a half before Kelly Bryant ran away with that thing. It's Kelly Bryant, but you know what I'm saying? So he had good players that he helped recruit and a defense that was a solid foundation. And when he knew that the offense wasn't working out at all with, I don't know, a big old goose egg, was it 14 to nothing against Louisiana tech or in the, in the, in the bowl game, it was awful. He went and got Rhett Lashley. He went and got Derek King. He was able to make some of those moves that we were just giving Ryan Day some credit for looking ahead where he's like, "Uh uh-oh, defense is bad. Let's go get the top DC available, Jim Knowles. Derek King at the time was the top transfer quarterback available. He committed on, you know, it was the national championship game night, but you had to evaluate him as somebody who, if not the number one quarterback in the transfer in the transfer market, at least one of the top two or three, Rhett Lashley was able to do great things with King in terms of uh, creating uh, a little bit more explosiveness over the last couple of years. I'm, I'm checking in here to at a Danny Cannell C plus, but it is the more than anything, the no show performances that I think you end up docking Manny Diaz for. And the thing that breaks my heart is that you'd see him in these press conferences and he cared. He really cared. And he was so disappointed. And he took ownership over the fact that the team did not have the, was was not mentally engaged, was not focused, was not ready to play their best football or, or even half of their best football, which is probably what would have been required to win some of those games against lesser opponents. So those those sort of meltdowns, those no-shows, they, they popped up a couple times every year in Manny Diaz's tenure, so I'm sitting on the C+. Part of that, I think, is is the culture, though, of that city and, and that town, man. Like, they think they're better than all these other teams, but they don't really invest to be better than all these other teams. And, like, they lose to these, some of these, you know, these CUSA teams or, or you know, American AAC teams uh, in front of, like, 8,000 people. Because nobody in that town really cares. It, it's such a front-running town. You don't have very many diehard Miami fans out there. You have people who get excited about the new hotness, and they'll show up. But like, unless you're really, really dominant, you're not going to fill the stadium uh, for any of these games, even against some of the ACC teams that are like, this is a conference game. This is a divisional game. Like, we need to show up for this. You know, the, the ESPN has to do the incredibly tight – crowd shots when Miami's playing UVA because they only have like 24,000 people in the stands and they don't want to embarrass their their broadcast partner uh, in, in in the Hurricanes. So I that's going to be a challenge for, for Cristobal as well down there, right? Now, I think that you can get an attendance wave because of, of all the excitement around him and around the investment they're having in the program. Uh, but if they don't win quickly, they're going to have some of the same problems there. Does... Uh... Does that dude with the mask and the horns have a name? Like, don't we call the the bald guy with the painted face at Ohio State Big Nut? Yeah, met that dude. Do you do you know what I'm talking about at Miami? Yeah, there's like a the, couple of them. Like they the one I, ESPN always shows them. The guy yeah. with the like the I, I I can picture him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like two tone yeah. mask. He's wearing the horns. Yep. I don't took a picture with him back in 2016. <laughs> Smelled like he had been driving overnight to go to the game. So <laughs> probably did. Pro- probably did. Die hard, man. Gotta gotta love the diehards. All right, let's uh let's go back to coaches that are still there in that same division. Mac Brown at North Carolina. Initial 
was like, uh, especially coming with less miles, you know, in the same, it, it seemed like a nostalgia play. Then he exceeds expectations, you know, picked very low. A lot of the win totals for that first season in, included missing a bowl game. This flips Sam Howell from Florida State. They make it to the bowl game. Howell lights up Temple in the bowl game, and they go seven and six in that first season. Then all of a sudden we come in with a little bit more expectations. Um, then the expectations get raised again going into last season. And North Carolina, after being a team ranked up in the top 10, you know, picked to win the ACC Coastal Division, fell short. So uh, exceed slightly, exceed, I guess, again, and then in year three, fall short of expectations. My grade was low um, for the hire initially because I felt like it was a play to appease the fan base. I quickly flipped my opinion on that when I saw what he was able to do on the recruiting trail. And now I think I've settled somewhere in between. How do we evaluate the three years of Mac Brown at North Carolina? I, I gave it an A. I mean, who, who has been better in recent memory than Mac Brown at North Carolina? It, like, Larry Fedora? Yeah, I was going to say that too. <laughs> I guess. We forget his 11-win season. Yeah, but he also he also the bottoming out there was was crazy. It was um, quick, but the to me, but for from my uh, my opinion is that the fans not caring is what led to the quick hook on Fedora. When just they they voiced their displeasure by not showing up, and when State was beating North Carolina uh, at home in the final game of the season on Senior Day, and no one was there, and no one was cheering, or no one cared, that was. That was it for him because it's, it is a basketball school where you at least need them to show up and make it part of their social event in the center of their weekend. And when everybody was checking out, it's like, we, we got to just get someone that's going to get the fans excited again. I, I, I feel like Mac Brown is building something more sustainable there with the recruiting. And um, he's already had a you know, very nice year, obviously 2020. How, how much do you discount what they did in 2020? Because obviously – we write off a lot of the good seasons. Do you write off a lot of the, you know, the, or we write off a lot of the bad seasons. Do we write off some of the good seasons there? I don't no, know. The 2020 was building and moving forward. 2020 was why 2021 had those expectations because they sure. thumped Miami in Miami. They were hanging with Notre Dame, you know, for a little bit. Notre Dame ended up pulling away, but I mean, that was a, that was a team that went seven and three in conference play finished third place in the conference that was a that was a really really good season it was the step forward that you wanted to see which is what made finishing with a sub 500 record in conference play in 21 a little bit of a disappointment to me the quality of player he's getting in north carolina merits an a but that's a different discussion isn't it like i would say mac brown no, it's the a main plus. part of your job but he's an A plus recruiter, but then isn't it part of it to develop that talent? Like, I, and I love Mac. Like, trust me, don't get me wrong. I gave it a B minus because, like, I feel it has to translate. And that's been the one knock against Mac is underperforming with some of the top talent. What's probably end to his demise at Texas was getting all the four and five stars and not being able to deliver on it. And I do think, I think this year is massive. Because what do you think the biggest reason for North Carolina's turnaround? Was it Mac Brown or was it Sam Howell? Or, and both really is the answer. But he found a quarterback who was pretty special and is probably going to be you know late first, early second round pick. He's been a great player for them. Been able to put up a lot of points. Like if he didn't get Sam Howell, would they be anywhere? Well, I think they might be sub five hundred in some of these seasons. 
you know, and like they did lose to Florida State a couple years ago. You know, they they were top five. I don't know. I love Mac. I I'm they've, a little bit Florida worried. State twice. Yes, I'm a little Florida, bit Florida worried. State teams that have not been bowling have beaten North Carolina twice. I hope I'm North wrong. Carolina, like he's building yeah. something there. I hope he is. I hope you're right. I am a little bit concerned post Sam how how they play this season. When you're you know, 70 he's years not, old, not a young pup. Like he's getting older. Yeah. Is he a lot? Like, well, right? No, no. So right. I I I see where you're going with this. I don't think Mac Brown's going to be the guy that's going to take them to the next level. I think his recruiting will give them the baseline if they make the right hire the next guy. If they if they don't let him hold on there forever, because I agree he doesn't develop the talent to the standard you need. But he's absolutely the guy right now. He's got enough juice left on the recruiting trail to get those players in there mm-hmm. and put the, the recruiting people, operation in place. I think that he, if if Mac wants to, he can hold on as long as he wants because the people who got Fedora out the paint were the people who like Mac and wanted Mac, and that means that he's he's got all he he's got all the the weapons. Your lifetime deal. It's not a lifetime deal. <laughs> they're just they're it's doing that tech. close though. He's so and Sally's right there with him, and they met into Chapel Hill, and it goes way back. And there's history. I love it. I hope he is building something special. I'm a little bit worried about this season coming up. Do you remember what his salary, like what his deal was when he took this job? And it shows you how much Mac Brown wanted to get back in the game. I I have to double check this, but his first contract, the one when he took the job. Wasn't it like seven hundred thousand? Wasn't it like no, dirt? No, 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 no. Wow. Sure, I'm. I, I was at the press conference. The term sheet was on all of the chairs. Yeah. When we came it to was sit cheap, down, right? It was it was really cheap comparatively to. It was a it, there. There was an M in there. I don't think it, it was. was? A, I, mean, I don't think it was a sub. You can't. You cannot be. I even in the broke ACC. <laughs> You cannot be handing out sub-million dollar annual compensation salaries to head coaches. I mean, that's just disrespectful to the sport that generates more revenue than anything else that you've got coming into your athletic department. He made some changes this offseason. You know, we talk about that's a, a thread here. And look, after year three, this is when, if something's not working out, it's time to go. Jay Bateman out as defensive coordinator. I'm, I'm curious to see Phil Longo was the hotness when Sam Howell and that offense really took over. And obviously the following year, when you've got two 1,000-yard rushers and Michael Carter and Javante Williams, you know, Deami Brown, like the the wide receiver, Daz Newsome, the wide receivers are incredible. And every, Phil Longo got a lot of that credit too. And so the offensive struggles this past season, even though Sam Howell finished with good statistical numbers, the unit as a whole and the passing game in particular outside of Josh Downs was not uh, particularly effective but um, I, I said that I've been all over the place. I was low. I, then I was way up in, in, in A going into 2021. I think I'm sitting more on just like a, a real solid B right now where you want to see some of these really good recruiting classes uh, turn into competing for ACC championships to feel like I'm back in that A range. Coming up on the other side, we turn our attention to a wild up and down Uh, grading for Scott Satterfield at Louisville across his time. What's next for Neil Brown at West Virginia and what went wrong for Matt Wells at Texas Tech? All that and more next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, 
Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, that's right. Those of you who are watching us on YouTube or on Facebook got to see uh, another trailer for Jackass Forever on Paramount+. Plus. It's Johnny Knoxville, Steve-O, and the crew. They are back in the new movie. It is now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Get ready to laugh your ass off. It's rated R. Head to Paramount Plus to try it for free. Jackass Forever on Paramount Plus. All right, let's uh, let's keep it in the ACC. There's a there's a lot of turnover uh, in the conference that season. Scott Satterfield came in, absolute, just felt like Bobby Petrino burned it to the ground on the way out. That team, famously, and I've mentioned it here before, not only were they losing by like 28, 30 points per game. But they were failing to cover spreads by like 14 to 21 points. They were getting ridiculous, like plus 28. And Tom Fernelli and I are like, that's too many daggum points. <laughs> no, it wasn't enough daggum points. Remember that Georgia Tech game? Uh, when Paul Johnson just put it on Petrino. Mm. So Scott Satterfield in year one with the Louisville Cardinals goes eight and five. They finished solo second place in the ACC Atlantic Division behind Clemson. They won the Music City Bowl. He was named the ACC Coach of the Year. Everything's awesome. Following year in the 2020 season, four and seven. The next year, six and seven. What's our grade with three seasons on Scott Satterfield? I gave him a C. I think he has Louisville about in about expectation within the ACC. Uh, Louisville had Lamar Jackson, which kind of warps the expectation, I think, of what they should do in this conference. But if you look at all the years, they didn't have Lamar Jackson. So take out the peak of Jackson and then take out, obviously, the ridiculous final Petrino year. Uh, and I, I think he has them playing about to, to what expectations should be there relative to how well you can recruit and resources and all this stuff. I used to get a ton of hate, by the way, from Louisville fans when they joined the league. And I was like, look, you guys are not going to treat the ACC like you treat the Big East or the you know the, the AAC as it was. They're like, no, come on. We're, we're, we're awesome. We're studs. I'm like, watch. You'll be about 500 as a team in the ACC. And they have been. 
I think he's meeting expectations there. Uh, I do think he gets dinged a little bit for the reverse progression, which you see sometimes where you're better in year one than you are in year two, largely due to luck. They were just very unlucky in that 2020 season. Uh, and I, I think he gets dinged a little bit for how he handled the uh, the flirtation with South Carolina. He was just a little bit too honest there uh, in that press conference. He should have just kind of denied everything and, and just lied to us, probably. Like, if I'm his agent, that's what I would have told him uh, to do. So, anyway, I think he's meeting expectations. It's kind of boring. I don't know how long he'll last there because eventually you got it. Like, the way you keep selling season tickets is to get people excited about stuff. Telling them, hey, this guy's meeting reasonable expectations for our program, ain't going to move the needle. So I don't know that he's long term there, but I, I think he's done a fine job. I'm a little lower. I was close to D plus, C minus. Like when you come in with a coach, and I mean, if he has another six and seven season, he's probably done, right? No, see, he's this is where he, he has, has the new AD finished. yet. I think that I think the damage that was done from the flirtation with South Carolina, another job has done enough damage where people are going to be like, all right, let's go. Let's move on. Let's find the next guy who's going to believe in us. I am curious. I want to follow up on your take on the 500. Who do you think is a comp of Louisville? You don't think like NC State is a comp of what they should be? I'd rather have the NC State job, I think. They're both in the Atlantic, which makes it tougher. They're both in good cities, like, but, I mean, North Carolina, I guess, has more talent around it, I guess, but you're not that yeah. far from – I don't know. I thought they should be similar to NC State's level of success. Eight or nine wins a year, and occasionally you get a Lamar Jackson, and maybe that should be bumped. So maybe that's where Bobby Petrino underperformed when he had Lamar Does Jackson. Does NC State win eight or nine games a year at, normally, or are they just are, are they in a peak right now, though? That's what I'm saying. Oh, normally you're, it's, a, it's seven. Yeah, six yeah. or seven, right? They make a bowl. Sometimes they squeak into a bowl. Sometimes they, they, have, they have the bowl clinched before they play Carolina. Um. Don't you think but I see your point. Similar expectations for those two programs? No, I don't because Kentucky's actually investing like crazy. And I, I like Kentucky has just mashed the gas, and, and I don't think Louisville can match them. Mm. In in state, it's, it's tough resource wise. Dave Dorn's been rattling off some nine win seasons. The, he has. Gaming it out for Louisville includes the upheaval they've had at university president the upheaval they've had at athletic director, a men's basketball coach who quit. <laughs> you had assist, assistants get let go for like alleged. Uh, well, right. And then like some alleged, like, you know, that all kinds of, of non sports related reasons there. Uh, I mean, Chris Mack was like, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm out. I don't like this. I don't like this. I mean, a listen, I that is different than the old like I'm not calling Chris Mack a quitter. He looked at his life and he looked at his family and he was like, "Not worth it. I don't I don't want to unsubscribe from this email thread. Like I just I I got to get out of this. I don't want to be a part of this anymore." Um What grade do you give it, Chip? For oh, Scott Satterfield. I've got Scott Satterfield sitting on a C+. Plus. I think he's a good coach. That's yeah. my investment. So Chip like, is the highest. I yes, I am giving uh, because I'm grading the higher, and even in a four and seven season, like they were not totally uncompetitive against Miami at the beginning of that season when Miami beat Louisville, and it was like, whoa, look at this Miami team. Malik Cunningham has been pretty good, and even this past season, they were very competitive. They're 
in the last two years, there have been a lot of losses, but there have been very few losses where Louisville was noticeably way behind the competition or the team that they ended up losing to. I, I still am going to give him credit for what he did and inherited a good thing at Appalachia State, absolutely, but won at a very high level. I think he is a good football coach. Uh, so in grading the hire, I will ding you for results, being 18 and 19 overall across three seasons, but I will maintain some of, even before he had that great first season, some of the, those same thoughts that had me with the high grade for Louisville on bringing Satterfield in, I'm going to keep that in mind as I continue to regrade and, uh, and look at him as a head coach moving forward. Any other thoughts on Sat? All right, where do you want to go next? We got Loxley, Collins, Neil Brown, Kleiman, Holgerson. Uh, what happened with Matt Wells at Texas Tech? I mean, Les Miles F, right? Can we just go ahead and get that one out of the way? <laughs> yeah. You don't need to make a VOD for Les Miles. Is there a lower grade? Than that? Yeah, it's, it's not a not ideal situation. Um, no. Okay, so let's... Uh, all right, what about... Do, does Is there an incomplete grade if Mel Tucker was only at Colorado for a year and got hired away? Yeah, we can't do that one. Yeah, we can't do that one. Eli Drinkwitz, App State, one year got hired away. Yeah, can't do that. It made sense at the time, right? He was a, ah, he was a, definitely. Definitely. So those are the two coaches from this cycle that were hired away. Uh, let's. I guess those are A's, though. If you hired them and they got hired away because they were such success stories, right? Yeah. Good they job. They went to better jobs. It's not like they just didn't pan out. They just found a better opportunity, right? Right. All right. What about Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech? Man, I mean, hot seat this year, clearly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We knew he was going to get a longer lease, which he deserved because he was transitioning from a very you know specific offense that Paul Johnson was running with a triple option. I probably graded it higher at the time than I will now because at some point you have to deliver. And I'll say C minus, you know, like we're we're in year four, and we really haven't seen any massive jump in production. Right, I bought so, in on all of the like the hype, the gimmicks, the catchphrases, the little stickers, the gifts, the like. We're going all we get our Star Wars, we're Waffle House, you know, just sort of like all of that. I had me highly inflated on the expectations uh, at every single turn, and in three seasons, he has won three games in each of them. I. D plus. Right? Would you give him D plus? Yeah, it's. I mean, and I. And I, you can change that, right? But it's it. It looks like it, this is trending towards um, another year of mediocrity, and then a new coach. And then right? I mean, coach. it's clearly the make or break year for Jeff Collins. And I would ask a step further, like, what's the signature win? It would have been Florida it's State. North, it's but, North Carolina. <laughs> that's right. But programs that have underwhelmed that weren't as good as we thought. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I, I and Bud uh for the, for those listening, Bud's computer just crashed. Yeah, he, he popped out. He gave Jeff Collins a D. Mm -hmm. See, who else does Bud have on his A list? Ooh, okay. What about Hugh Freeze at Liberty? Uh I think that's an A. I mean a? He's, yeah, I'm curious to know how he does obviously this season with Malik Willis's second year at the helm, 
was a setback for everybody, for Liberty and Malik Willis, who, by the way, I think might have vaulted into the number one quarterback spot with his workout yesterday. And the type of things you're starting to hear about him as a young man. But this is a program that's dying for relevance. Like Liberty wants to be a power five. You know, they, they want to be a BYU type of program. Mm-hmm. And they felt Hugh Freeze was the guy to take them there. And I think he's met every expectation they've had for him. I mean, he had him in the national conversation two years ago. How many ACC teams they beat? Three and then lost to one. I think they were three and one against the ACC two years ago. Lost to Um, NC State. Yeah. Um, But I think, and the fact that he's even mentioned as possibly leaving for an SEC job, going from Liberty, I think it's a good thing for Liberty that he's having that much success. So I think it's an A. And it's one that I think a lot of people looked at with a little bit of, you know, a side eye, like, oh, here we go again. Here's Hugh Freeze going to Christian, like with his baggage, going to a, you know, an institution that calls themselves, you know, a Christian school. There were some eye rolls there. And it was a popular meme when he's on his hospital bed coaching from up there. But it was an epic meme. But I think the results speak for themselves. I think it's been a I think it's been absolutely a good fit for everybody. So I would say an A for Hugh Freeze. I was g- going higher on the grade because he hasn't left. His presence yeah. there suggests that it wasn't just like a, a fast, fast cash grab bounce back. Now. Do you think he hasn't tried? Hey, I was going to say, okay. if yeah. Brian Harson is, yeah. is removed as the head coach of Auburn, do we still have this conversation on March 23rd with the same context? Nah. But the fact that he's not taking any job, I think he's. I think he's taken us. I think he he would love to get back in the SEC. But I guarantee there's been other opportunities that he's probably said, "No, I'm good. I'm good where I am. I'll keep building something here and keep winning here before I decide to bolt somewhere else." Hugh Freeze, you got him as an A. Already, I do have him as an A. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, like what Danny said is true. We we all laughed about it, but look at the other people in power at Liberty. You know, like they have no problem hiring a hypocritical, uh, you know, figurehead. So he's done a nice job there. He's recruited well. And uh, that conference is about to be super easy to win. So uh, I would expect that he will continue to do well uh, there until he leaves if somebody else will give him another shot, which ultimately I think they probably will. In this hiring cycle, we saw Texas Tech uh, in an effort to replace Cliff Kingsbury hired Matt Wells. Matt Wells came in with a ton of success uh, and, you know, high expectations. It was 10-2 and two his last season with Utah State. He It was his second 10-win season during that tenure uh, where he won one Mountain West division title. Then at Texas Tech, he went 4-8 and eight in 2019, 4-6 in the COVID-shortened 2020 year. And then after a 5-3 and three start, was fired by Texas Tech. What is our grade for Matt, Texas Tech's hire of Matt Wells, who is F. now no longer there? So it's F. F for the hire? F for F. the hire. Because if you weren't going to give him a legitimate chance to begin with, you should have never made the hire. And this is not an F for Matt Wells. Because when you were talking before, I, what coach were saying, I think he's a good football coach, so I'm going to grade it higher. I'm going the other way. I think Matt Wells is a great coach. And I think he can coach absolutely, but I think the fact that that like if his last name, or if let's say if he if his last name was Leach, or if he had played quarterback at the school, they would have been oh this is a great you know, look at we're turning things around. But they didn't, so they there was 
disparaging comments. There was a faction of the booster community that said, no, we want him out. And it basically bullied their way out of that one. I think it was a mistake to hire him in the first place. If you if you couldn't get everybody on board behind Matt Wells at the time and said, oh, this isn't a big enough name for us, then you should have made the hire. So that's that's why I give it an F. Danny, that, that's a really interesting argument. And I, I don't totally disagree with the process part of that argument. However, you can have a happy accident, right? And he didn't do a bad job there. And the roster is not in like really messed up shape. And they decided they wanted to go in a different direction and, and try something new. Kind of like, I mean, look, he didn't have people excited down there. It was kind of a weird hire to, in, in, in the first place, like you said. Kind of like what I think they'll probably do to Satterfield unless he wins a lot more games than I expect. You, you got to keep got to keep it refreshing. You, you got to keep these boosters and, and the people who don't have quite enough money to, to buy an NFL team but have enough money to, to donate a lot of money to the program. You got to keep them happy and believing in, in the next thing, right? And keep them donating. This is kind of how – how the little show game works. So I gave him a B for the job that, that he did there. Like I think he reasonably met expectations and kind of exceeded my expectations there for what Texas Tech is. I know we had a – Chip, was it a mailbag question we had a couple uh, couple weeks ago asking about expectations at Texas Tech? Mm-hmm. Um, in the new Big 12, once Texas and Oklahoma leave, you know, where where's Texas Tech fall? What's reasonable expectations in the new Big 12? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think if you look at, at Texas Tech's history uh, in the you know Big Twelve, the you know the Big Eight, and all, all basically all all the time that they were there, you had a very lightning in the bottle situation with Leach, uh, in which you had a a very uh, kind of revolutionary offense that was hard to defend. Not a lot of people were running it to that extent at the time, uh, and he carved out a couple really really nice seasons. But other than that. Making a bowl game is absolutely a success at Texas Tech and has been forever. Uh, in the new Big 12, maybe you bump that up by like a full win, right? Maybe it's, hey, uh, we, we expect to win seven, not six. I think Matt Wells met expectations and, and exceeded them at, at times and dealt with some tough circumstances that were kind of thrust upon him. So I gave him a B. I was high off the jump. I loved those Utah State teams, and I – was very disappointed when things just didn't click uh, at Texas Tech. Overall, I give the hire uh, probably I've got C minus on the on the hire decision, and then on the firing decision, just weird man. They they came out and started five and three, and then you move on from your coach, and then you pluck Joey McGuire. It's a it's a strange set of circumstances, but all the conversation around Texas Tech has allowed us to be able to inform the Cover 3 listeners that at Texas Tech, you're closer to, what, New Mexico than you are to Dallas-Fort Worth? Geographically, not Geographically. Uh, not, not, not talent-wise, but yes. Not talent-wise, but to, to look at Texas Tech and to say, you're in Texas, why can't you get all that talent? is to ignore the fact that you can get to Chicago faster. I don't know. I forgot what all of our different – that Danny can get to me faster than a Texas Tech coach can get from his office to some of the top talent in East Texas. So something to, uh, to keep in mind, especially as we are uh, grading it. Let's keep it there in the Big 12 because we got uh, two others from that conference. Neil Brown at West Virginia. Producer Coco would be as mad as if his email inbox was filled up with bracket game notifications if we didn't mention Neil Brown at West Virginia and give him a grade. Uh, at the time, 
I would say that he came in not only with his experience as a head coach at Troy, where he had been there for four seasons, but also, you know, like I thought that he had done a good job as an offensive coordinator at Kentucky as well. He had gone to three straight bowl games and won three straight bowl games with the Trojans, 10 wins, 11 wins, and 10 wins in three seasons with West Virginia. He's 17 and 18 overall, 11 and 15 in conference play. No finish higher than fifth place in the Big Ten. Two bowl games, one and one in those bowl games. What is the grade for Neil Brown at West Virginia? Just a solid C. He is he has West Virginia playing to its expectations or to uh, to my expectations for this program in the existing Big Twelve. You've had one really good year uh, in the ten seasons that you have played in the Big Twelve, and that was a Will Greer year where he just totally went off. Other than that, absent having an NFL quarterback. Uh, you are fighting for bowl eligibility in the Big 12 at West Virginia. Your talent base is trash. You don't play any teams that play in the state of Florida, which is where you have to generally recruit from. That is where like Rich Rod and, and those guys went to recruit prior. The pitch to those kids is tough. Hey, your parents are like never going to be able to go to a road game to see you play, right? And like it used to be you could go and you, you could see some games that are a little closer to home. Uh, to where you had to recruit from. The travel is really, really tough. Uh, they have one of the, the most arduous travel schedules in the country. And so far, he's had them five and seven, six and four, and six and seven. Two bowl games in three years at West Virginia in the Big 12, I think, is meeting expectations. So I gave him a C. But it is boring. Again, reiterating my Matt, Matt Wells point and my Satterfield point, you do have to kind of get these boosters continually excited and that's why some of these guys get fired there are many expectations but boosters don't want to hear that would you put him on the hot seat this year i mean do you think he uh is? do i think he should be or do i think he will be i don't think he should be but i think he is don't you think like that's the reality i mean just as an outsider perspective right. i would say yes yeah. yeah i gave it a c too like it's it's okay you'd like to see maybe a bowl win mixed in there you know i think this season well, is they did win of- in 2020 the the Liberty Bowl they beat yeah. uh, who did they beat? They beat twenty twenty Liberty Bowl uh, Army in front Solid. of eight thousand people. That 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 is uh, <laughs> talk about wanting to stay home. Would you would would you rather go to Shreveport and play in front of eight thousand people defending the triple? Liberty Bowl was, that was was that COVID season though. Yes. That, oh, excuse me. Right. Excuse me. Right. So we got to pass on that. So I was going to say eight thousand is actually kind of a high uh, <laughs> total. Yeah. But we were in Memphis, so we we're outdoors. Sorry. I mean, Memphis, I, I, Memphis is the famous party bus during COVID, so you know we got to remember what we're dealing with here. I think at the time I probably would have said A. Right. Don't you think? Like I, he they came in with a lot of fanfare, like is the next big thing, and I think this is one of those ones where the decision when you make where to go. Is critical to your success as a coach because I don't like if Neil Brown doesn't make it through this season, clearly he's not going to be as a hot a commodity. Like, what is he? What's next for Neil Brown if he doesn't build something at West Virginia? My is, it pay, is, is it a paycheck job now? West Virginia, yeah, like it's a power five job you take, but you realize you are probably going to get fired in four or five years because the expectations don't match the resources. You no, no. one goes in with that attitude. Yeah, you can spin West Virginia into a better job if you pop. I don't actually. I don't know. It, in Rich the new Rod, Big Twelve, maybe Rich Rod was the last one to do it, right? Because yeah, Dana did, did 
out the side door. Yeah. And, and Rich Rod never had to play in the Big 12. Mm. He got to so play my, in that water down, same water down Big East that that uh, that Louisville w- w- was doing well in. My knock on Neil Brown is um, the general performance of the offense and the quarterback that West Virginia has been at its best with like really nasty defensive linemen and just winning at the line of scrimmage and not with, uh, you know, a high flying offense that uh, I think that I expected when you're bringing in Neil Brown. And so for quarterback development, like if that to me is the one thing that I think fans are looking for is like, what, when can we not just have that like Jarrett Dagey level? When, when can we graduate from Jag to Jag plus? Because it really feels like you're getting some Jag play at quarterback from, uh, from Neil Brown's West Virginia team. And I think that the, the selling points on Neil Brown included being able to get a little bit more out of that. When you think, I would agree. Uh, let me ask you guys this: we, we can also use this maybe as a transition. How much do you look into what happened at the school that he left to judge how how, how good of a hire, like at all? Because it, like he left Troy, and Troy got one of my Fs. I only gave out three Fs in this whole cycle, but but and Chip Lindsay, Chip that- Lindsay gets an F for me. Yeah, yeah. I think it's huge. F. I think if there's a if there's a massive regression at the program, I think it's a great sign that you made a good hire. Don't you think that would reaffirm your decision? Oh, West Virginia's grade for the hire of Neil Brown gets more uh, gets bonus points essentially because you saw what happened when Neil Brown left Troy, a program that won double digit see, double digit win seasons three years in a row. Tanks. Yes. I don't know that it should, but I, I did consider it a little bit and just said, well, I still think the guy can coach. I think I think the results there are more about expectations. The resources. There. I mean, remember, Dana, Dana left. Dana left the Mountaineers to go to an AAC program that was aspirational to the Big 12. They were not in the Big 12 at the time. They were still several seasons out. And obviously, there was some other stuff, but he saw how hard it is to win there. I like to say he walked away from the table. <laughs> chipped up yep. <laughs> walked away from the table <laughs> chip um, chipped up reference is awesome yeah so let's we're uh we're running a little tight on yeah chip Lindsay and uh, not not a high grade i think you can pretty much sit with that one across the board not fired yet but <laughs> not a high grade what about Did you Chris have Fox? any other, other any other f's let's see we mm. went over uh less miles while less you were, while you were out that was an easy yeah. f Gary Anderson for quitting again gets an F. Like you yeah, the thing is, is you can't you can't drop an F on Scott Leffler. He survived all of our slings and arrows. You can drop a D. Yeah, I gave him a D. But, what about you Walt Bell? You got you gave Walt Bell a D. I like Walt, but I mean, program. The problem is, I don't know what the baseline is there for for UMass. I mean, would Nick Saban make a bowl at UMass? I don't I don't know that he would. How about like Rod? I've known guys Gary? that coach at UMass that say we have no business being a D one. We really need to drop down. This is ridiculous. Like they'll just tell me that openly. They see the Patriot League and they're like, "That's where we need to be right now." Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rod Carey was the first head coach to be fired at Temple since 1992. Temple is a really weird resource job, but I think you have to grade him down. I gave him a D a little bit simply because we have seen some guys win there of late, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They kept pumping um, coaches oh, all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So I, I definitely have that one. Um, I've that one on my D list as well. Uh, for Jake Spavital, probably on hot seat. I gave him a D. Uh, Jim McElwain, Central Michigan. Hey, yeah. Like no question, eh? No question. He's he's been great there. He's living in that barn, just living things up, and they love him. Like he's embraced the fan base. They've had some success on the field. He even makes fun of the shark picture now. Like it's all, <laughs> I give him an A for that alone for being able to laugh at himself now. No uh, fake Jamie, claims of death threats. Right. So we're really on the right track here. So uh in the Carolinas, Jamie Chadwell's your easy A at Coastal Carolina. A little bit more interesting is Will Healy where we've got a lot of momentum and excitement. But can you can you still go A here with without really flipping that? We're three years into the Will Healy experience at Charlotte. I think we need to see more wins if you're going to go A. I've got him at a, a B. Yeah, I have the same. Um, it's tough because we don't know the baseline expectation for that program because they've it's just a new had yeah, exactly. But we do know a lot of coaches would like that job if Healy left because of, of the city you're in. Charlotte, that's still kind of one of those things. I mean, there's another coach on here that I, I, I gave a D that, hey, it's in a super attractive city. Uh, and so I, I, But there's other challenges you don't know about. So I think a B is, is fine here. I think Healy does a good job. They also got wrecked by injuries last year. I, I saw Healy at the convention, and I was like, who are some of these guys? And they they were walk-ons playing at defensive tackle. And that's just not a spot that you really want to use a walk-on because just body-wise, it's not going to work. Um, Thomas Hammock. I had to flip that one around. Northern Illinois. Did you? Because I wanted to ask you guys about this. Like, I know this is deep cut, but it's it's March 23rd, so I figure we can go deep. The first two years were bad. Correct. This year, they were – they had a great win-loss record, but they did not play like a good team. And they, they're like one of the luckiest teams ever. Do you know who they played like in this season? You know who they played against in a good as a good team at the very end of the very Kent end of State. the season when it can when it counted. Yeah. I mean I gave them a C. NIU is a program that actually invests a little bit. Like they've had really good success. Uh they won a conference championship. You've got to flip it when he wins the conference. Even if he there? wins them all with like a negative win expectancy, he won the conference. Have you guys yeah. ever been there? To um to cab? No. It is rough. I, I called a lot of Mac games. It is a tough conference, man. And they actually had a nice remember Northern Illinois. Yeah, Northern Lynch was rolling. They had things going. I think that's when I covered them. Probably around that time, I called one of their games. It is not attractive. Jordan Lynch was uh, was writing checks. His mouth couldn't cash against uh, uh, against FSU in the Orange Bowl there. But they actually had that safety on that team, Jimmy Ward, who who's like still in the league with yeah. the uh, the 49ers. That like I was like that guy. I was watching that for the press box. And like, that guy's a stud. I mean, yeah. that's he can play. So yeah, I've here we've got uh, fourteen and eighteen in three years, and that includes the Ofer in twenty twenty, ten and twelve in conference play, one division title, one conference championship, one bowl appearance. I I've got to have Thomas Hammock sitting on a C. All right, I'll I'll give him a B. All right, I'm you, you, you convinced me. I'm gonna him? I'm gonna change it to B. Who was the coach before him? Rod Carey, Rod right? Carey. Yeah. 
Maybe Who? things weren't as great. Like, <laughs> true. Maybe what he inherited uh, all yeah, the way to what? Great. He also I has great that. buy-in from the players. Like, if you listen to those guys, they really believe in him, which I think counts for a lot. I think Mike Houston at ECU has got to get something above a C plus, something that's going to get you good credits. Um, I, I've got him sitting on a B right now. Chris Kleiman at Kansas State. Give him a B. I above my expectations. You know. I, I think he's meeting expectations because he think they had a bad year in 2020. They had a rough start in Big 12 play this year, and he flipped that thing, overcame some injury issues, and pieced together uh, another eight win season. I think I think that Chris Kleiman is is done a good job of being able to um, meet the Kansas State expectations of being a thorn in the side of every Big 12 team and finding ways to win some games. It's not an A plus hire. He's changing the face of Kansas State, but it is it is a good hire in my opinion. He beat Oklahoma twice. Is that right? The in the each of those two seasons, he beat him once or twice. I know they beat him once. I thought maybe he'd beat him twice. I would say a B because I think I think it is perfect. What you said is relative to expectations of what Kansas State should be. It's kind of humming along. They lost Oklahoma this past season. They beat Oklahoma in 2019, mm. 48 to 41. Ooh, boy, couldn't get any stops. All right, uh, let's see. What other ones stand out from this list that we want to give uh, some shout out to? Dana Holgerson at Houston, B plus, A minus. I mean, early it was like, hey. Yeah, yeah, early yeah. reactions were like, you know, what is this? This tanking experiment is awful. And now he's. You know, compete. He's in the top twenty-five of the playoff rankings, and he's competing for you know conference titles, and will be leading Houston into the Big Twelve. A. Awesome. A. Yeah, he got them to the Big Twelve. Like that's an A. Um. All right. Any, any other ones we want to shine a light on before we get out of here? Did you guys do Loxley? Because I gave him a B. Ooh. I did not expect that from you. I just don't think that program can win in the big in the Big Ten. Like they took the check because they were in a desperate financial situation and they're taking the L's. I like an A is what there? Winning eight as opposed to seven? I thought you were going to be down He's because getting them the bowl games. I thought <laughs> I've always got and you. They took as, over a very tough situation too with yes, their D yeah. their DC who like I I gave him a B. I'd say B's fair. I'd B's probably fair. be along the same lines. Like you can not, you can. I think you can simultaneously not buy into the recruiting ranking fully, uh, because they do pick off some of those guys who maybe other schools don't want for a, a negative reason about the you know player like off field. Uh, but ultimately, the offense is fun to watch. Normally, they're getting to bowl games. I think that's all you can really hope at Maryland. Like you're never going to win the East. That's that's fair. I, as someone who pulled back the curtain and revealed the recruiting rankings trickery that some of these coaches are out here doing, sometimes for their own financial benefit, I, I, I think that I was expecting something a little bit lower. I I like I think that uh, Mike Loxley at Maryland is a capital F fit, and you know if he's able to. Uh, pick up just a few more wins in Big Ten play than he has right now, then maybe I will be off my uh, my C plus. But yeah, I'm I'm gonna sit there at C plus right now because you can you can very quickly like pick up the what the, you get the Towson win, you get like one more non con win, 
you've got a coin flip game against someone like West Virginia, and then you got your nine-game conference schedule. If he can pluck off three wins every year, then string that together, then yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll bump this up a little bit. But time will tell on that one. Last one. Last one. Collins. Oh, we did yeah. it while you were out. We did it? Did you guys give him a yeah, D? What do you give it? I gave him a D. Yeah. Like I, I, I thought all the nonsense about like challenging Georgia and stuff for recruiting would never happen, but I do. I did expect them to beat some lesser programs for that in-state talent, and they really haven't done so. I don't think they're going to be good this year. Uh, no. Did you watch their spring game? Talent's not great. Interesting. Like, so they talked about uh, Collins was like, you know, Jeff Sims is our guy, and I, I don't know if he's saying that because he doesn't want Sims to transfer. Or if that's really the the belief there, it's tough to tell. Like just how much being a triple team hurt them as far as transitioning away from it. Clearly, it hurt them some. But how do you quantify that? Like, I don't even think I see four or five wins on their schedule. Like they they might be three and nine again. Yep, I agree. It's gonna be tough. Like of all these uh, coaches, Jeff Collins is the one that feels at the Power Five level the one that feels on the hottest seat. That that seems of the the power five coaches, yeah. eleven power five jobs changed hands in this cycle. Ryan Day, Mac Brown, Scott Satterfield, Mike Loxley, Jeff Collins, Neil Brown, and Chris Kleiman are all still at their current positions. None of those are as close to being fired as Jeff Collins. Does that feel right? Yeah, pretty sure that that's correct. He's the only power five guy I gave a D. Yep. Finally, it's regaining, giving it a D. You gotta watch out. Jeff Apparently, Collins. I'm pretty friendly here. It's great. So. Better string some W's together. You can follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.